0: Welcome to another episode of our NCLEX Review Series. In this podcast, we continue to bring you valuable materials to help you prepare for your exam. Enjoy. Endocrine disorders. The endocrine glands continuously secrete products called hormones, which are chemical messengers that deliver stimulatory or inhibitory signals to target cells as a result of a feedback mechanism. Once secreted, these hormones usually remain present in the body for four to six hours. Disorders of the endocrine system occur when there is an increase or decrease in hormone production. These disorders affect individuals across the lifespan. Diabetes mellitus is the most common endocrine disorder, and it affects all age groups. Type 2 diabetes has increased in recent years, especially among children, and its relationship with the incidence of obesity is well documented. Nursing Care of the Client with Diabetes Diabetes mellitus is characterized by hyperglycemia that occurs due to insufficient secretion of insulin, increased insulin resistance of peripheral cells, and or an increase in hepatic glucose production. The body attempts to excrete excess glucose via the kidneys. An osmotic force is created because of excess glucose in urine resulting in polyuria. If the body is unable to use carbohydrates for cellular function, It oxidizes fat as an energy source. The oxidation of fats produces ketone bodies. Risk factors for type 1 diabetes include a genetic predisposition, environmental factors, for example toxins or viruses, and age less than 30 years. Risk factors for type 2 diabetes include a positive family history, obesity, age 45 years or older, and a history of gestational diabetes. The incidence is increasing in childhood and adolescence. Type 1 diabetes is due to a destruction of pancreatic beta cells that leads to an inability of the pancreas to produce insulin. The disorder requires exogenous insulin. Type 2 diabetes has a gradual onset, with the pancreas producing some insulin. It may be controlled with adherence to a diet and exercise program that promotes the maintenance of a desirable weight and the use of oral hypoglycemic medication. It accounts for 90% of diabetes. Gestational diabetes is detected during 24 to 28 weeks gestation. These clients are more likely to develop type 2 diabetes 5 to 10 years after the birth of a fetus. The neonate may exhibit macrosomia, hypoglycemia, hypocalcemia, and hyperbilirubinemia. Assessment and Analysis Subjective findings in a client with diabetes include polydipsia, polyphagia, fatigue, blurred vision, and peripheral neuropathy. Objective findings include dehydration, polyuria, weight loss, glycosuria, peripheral vascular changes, ulcers, delayed wound healing, infection, or gangrene. Other findings include hyperglycemia, with a fasting plasma glucose level of 126 mg per deciliter or higher, and a 2-hour post-load glucose level of 200 mg per deciliter or higher. The nurse should also assess the hemoglobin A1c, glycosylated hemoglobin, measurement which reflects the average glucose level over the preceding 2 to 3 months. It should not exceed 7%. The nurse should assess for a positive familial history of diabetes. A baseline weight and vital signs should also be obtained. The nurse should identify visual acuity or retinal changes and review urine lab results for acetone and microalbumin levels. Tests of renal function such as BUN and creatinine should also be reviewed. A 24-hour diet history and typical dietary and exercise patterns should be obtained. Planning and Implementation The major focus for the nurse when caring for a client with diabetes is teaching the client to manage the disorder. Teaching should include diet, exercise, prevention of complications, and medication therapy. The nurse should help the client and family to understand the disease process. This includes encouraging them to express their feelings about the illness and the necessary changes in lifestyle and self-image. The nurse should teach the client the importance of and how to self-monitor blood glucose levels. For finger stick monitoring, the client should place a drop of blood from the fingertip on a special reagent strip, which is read by a glucose monitor. For interstitial glucose monitoring, there is continuous interstitial testing via biosensor inserted subcutaneously or intermittent transdermal testing via interstitial fluid drawn through skin and tested with an electrochemical sensor. Alternate finger stick sight testing includes the forearm, upper arm, abdomen, thigh, and base of the thumb. The use of these sites rests the fingertips. The nurse should remind the client that alternate sites have less capillary blood flow than fingertips and may not reflect glucose levels that rapidly rise and fall. One site should be used consistently, unless otherwise instructed, because results at various sites differ. The client should avoid the use of an arm on the side of a mastectomy. The nurse should help with administration of medication if self-administration is not possible. In addition, the nurse should teach the client about activities and diet that promote and maintain ideal body weight. The urine should be tested for ketones if the glucose level is high. A professional health care provider should examine the feet and cut the toenails regularly. Foot care should occur daily. For example, wash, dry, and lubricate the feet, avoiding between the toes. The foot should be inspected for irritation using a mirror for soles and heels. The feet should be protected by wearing socks and well-fitting closed-toed shoes. The client should be advised not to apply heating pads, ice, or tape to the feet. Smoking tobacco should also be avoided problems with the feet should be reported immediately. For diet therapy, it is recommended that 50% to 60% of caloric intake should come from carbohydrates, with an emphasis on complex carbohydrates, high-fiber foods rich in water-soluble fiber such as oat bran, peas, all forms of beans, pectin-rich fruits and vegetables, and avoidance of foods with a high glycemic index. Glycemic index refers to the effect of a particular food on the blood glucose level, Protein consumption should be 60 to 85 grams, equivalent to 12% to 20% of daily calories. Fat intake should not exceed 30% of daily calories, 70 to 90 grams per day. The client should replace saturated fats with monounsaturated and polyunsaturated fats. Carbohydrate-to-protein-to-fat ratio usually should be about 5 to 1 to 2. Food should be evenly distributed throughout the day in 3 or 4 meals, with snacks added between meals and at bedtime as needed, in accordance with total food allowance and therapy, insulin, or oral hypoglycemics. Consistent regulated food intake is basic to disease control, with consistent exercise, medication, and glucose monitoring. Insulin is the only treatment for type 1 diabetes. It acts to facilitate the transport of glucose and amino acids across cell membranes and promotes glycogenesis and protein synthesis. Insulin is administered by syringe, pen, pump, or IV. It is available in rapid-acting, short-acting, intermediate-acting, and long-acting forms. Rapid or short-acting insulin may be pre-mixed with intermediate-acting insulin, and only rapid or short-acting can be administered intravenously. Oral antidiabetic agents are used in the treatment of type 2 diabetes. The actions of these medications include increasing the secretion of insulin by the pancreatic beta cells, reducing the rate of glucose production by the liver, increasing cellular sensitivity to insulin, and blocking the digestion of carbohydrates in the bowel. For example, sulfonylureas, glipizide, glucotrol, and gliburide, glimepiride, amaryl, stimulate the beta cells to produce insulin. Biguanides such as metformin, glucophage reduce the rate of endogenous glucose production by the liver, and increase the use of glucose by muscle and fat cells. Diazolidinediones, rosiglitazone, avandia, and pioglitazone, actos, improve insulin sensitivity, thus improving peripheral glucose uptake. Alpha-glucosidase inhibitors, acarbose, precose, and miglitol, glycet, block digestion of ingested carbohydrates and slow the absorption of glucose. The nurse should assess for diabetic ketoacidosis, DKA, and hyperglycemic hyperosmolar non-ketotic syndrome, HHNS. DKA symptoms include hyperglycemia, glycosuria, polyuria, dehydration with flushed, hot, dry skin, and decreased skin turgor with tenting. HHNS is characterized by hypotension, tachycardia, thirst, headache, confusion, and drowsiness. Metabolic acidosis occurs with DKA only and is evidenced by Kussmaul respirations as the body attempts to blow off carbon dioxide. Additional clinical manifestations include ketonuria, sweet breath odor, anorexia, nausea, vomiting, decreased serum pH, decreased PCO2, and decreased HCO3. Hypoglycemia can be due to insulin shock or reaction because of excessive insulin, deficient glucose, or excessive exercise. Clinical findings result from sympathetic nervous system stimulation or reduced cerebral glucose supply. Symptoms include mental confusion, blurred vision, diplopia, slurred speech, fatigue, seizures, nervousness, weakness, pallor, diaphoresis, tremor, tachycardia, and hunger. The nurse should plan to provide a complex carbohydrate if the patient can safely consume oral foods or fluids, or D5W intravenously if the client becomes unconscious or too confused to participate in oral intake. Evaluation and Outcomes Diabetes requires lifelong management and daily adherence to the prescribed regimen. To prevent the multiple complications of this disorder, tight glucose control is essential. It is important for the client to adhere to the medical regimen of diet, exercise, and medications. The client must maintain blood glucose and hemoglobin A1c levels within an expected range. It is also important for the client to verbalize understanding and to demonstrate the skills of insulin administration and self-monitoring of blood glucose. Thyroid disorders Thyroid disorders are the second most common endocrine disorders. Excess thyroid hormone secretion is called hyperthyroidism, also known as thyrotoxicosis. Deficient thyroid hormone secretion is called hypothyroidism. Hyperthyroidism Hyperthyroidism is due to an excessive concentration of thyroid hormones in the blood as a result of thyroid disease or increased levels of thyroid-stimulating hormone, TSH. The increased level of thyroid hormone leads to a hypermetabolic state. Thyroid disease can occur as a result of an autoimmune process leading to impaired regulation. It is mediated by the immunoglobulin G antibody that activates TSH receptors on the surface of thyroid cells, resulting in increased secretion. The gland may also enlarge, goiter, as a result of decreased iodine intake. This enlargement may or may not be manifested by an increase in secretion of thyroid hormones. TSH levels may increase secondary to a disorder of the pituitary gland. Assessment and Analysis Subjective findings include polyphagia, diarrhea, emotional lability, apprehension, heat intolerance, and palpitations. Objective findings include weight loss, loose stools, tremors, hyperactive reflexes, restlessness, diaphoresis, insomnia, Exophthalmus and corneal ulceration. An increased systolic blood pressure, temperature, pulse rate, and respiration may also occur. Blood tests will demonstrate decreased TSH levels if a primary thyroid disorder is present or increased TSH levels if secondary to a pituitary disorder. Planning and Implementation In intervening with the client with hyperthyroidism, the nurse should establish a climate for uninterrupted rest and provide a relaxing, calm environment that has a cool temperature. The client should be protected from stress-producing situations as much as possible. The client's diet should be high in calories, proteins, and carbohydrates, with supplemental feedings between meals and at bedtime, as well as vitamin and mineral supplements as prescribed. The client may be easily upset and have an exaggerated response to environmental stimuli. If protrusion of the eyeballs, known as exophthalmus, is present, the nurse should protect the eyes through the use of eye drops, patches, tinted eyeglasses, elevation of the head of the bed, or cool compresses to the eyes as prescribed. The nurse should teach the importance of taking prescribed antithyroid medications to achieve a euthyroid state. Important preoperative thyroidectomy teaching should include deep breathing exercises and use of the hands to support the neck to avoid strain on the suture line after surgery. Priority nursing care after a thyroidectomy focuses on observing for clinical findings of respiratory distress and laryngeal stridor caused by tracheal edema. A tracheotomy set should be readily available. Hoarseness may result from laryngeal nerve damage the nurse should maintain the client in the semi-fowler position to reduce edema at the surgical site. When assessing for postoperative hemorrhage, the nurse should observe the back of the neck and shoulders. Postoperative complications include thyrotoxicosis evidenced by high temperature, tachycardia, irritability, delirium, and coma. The resulting hypermetabolism may lead to heart failure. This usually is precipitated by a severe physiologic or psychologic stress. The nurse must notify the healthcare provider immediately and be prepared to administer propranolol, indral, iodine, propylthiouracil (PTU), and steroids as prescribed. Another complication can be precipitated by the inadvertent removal of the parathyroid glands, which leads to hypocalcemia. Thus, the nurse should observe for signs of tetany, including numbness or twitching of extremities, spasm of glottis, or positive Chvostek and Trousseau signs the nurse should be prepared to administer calcium gluconate or calcium chloride, IV, as prescribed. Hyperthyroidism may be treated with radioactive iodine therapy. The client is mildly radioactive and should follow radiation precautions as advised for approximately 7 days. In addition, the client should increase clear fluid intake, void hourly during the first 8 to 12 hours, flush the toilet twice after use, ensure thorough hand hygiene, avoid contact with children, and avoid close, prolonged contact or sleeping with another person. The client should not share dishes, utensils, food, or drink with another, and avoid kissing and sexual contact until permitted. Hospitalization and isolation may be required for several days if a larger dose is used. The client should be told that clinical findings of hyperthyroidism may take three to four weeks to subside, The disorder may also be managed with medications such as methimazole, tapazole, PTU, and iodine. For example, potassium iodide to reduce the vascularity of the thyroid gland. Side effects of these medications include agranulocytosis, with decreased white blood cells, skin disturbances, nausea, vomiting, and decreased metabolism. Iodine has a bitter taste and may stain the teeth, therefore it can be diluted and administered through a straw. Following removal or destruction of the gland, the client must understand the importance of taking antithyroid medications regularly and to observe for adverse effects. The client must have periodic T3, T4, and or TSH studies to monitor hormone levels. Examples of thyroid replacement medications include levothyroxine, Synthroid, as the drug of choice, lyothyronine, Cytomel, and Liotrix, Thyrolar. The nurse should instruct the client to report the occurrence of side effects immediately, to take the medication as scheduled at the same time daily, and to not stop it abruptly. The client should also be taught to take a pulse rate daily and notify the healthcare provider if it is greater than 100 beats per minute. The client should also carry a medical alert card. Evaluation and Outcomes Outcomes and evaluation for the client with hyperthyroidism includes a successful recovery from surgery or gland destruction. The client will also need to maintain an ideal body weight and establish a regular routine of activity and rest. Compliance with medication treatment and routine health care provider supervision are also essential. Hypothyroidism Hypothyroidism results from deficient hormone synthesis due to congenital thyroid defects, prenatal and postnatal iodine deficiency, or autoimmune diseases such as Hashimoto's disease and sarcoidosis. Decreased levels of thyroid hormones, T3 and T4, slow the basal metabolic rate, BMR. Decreased BMR affects lipid metabolism, increases cholesterol and triglyceride levels, and affects red blood cell production, leading to anemia and folate deficiency. Myxedema coma is the most severe degree of hypothyroidism and is exhibited by hypothermia, bradycardia, hypoventilation, and progressive loss of consciousness. It is precipitated by severe physiologic stress and is a potentially fatal endocrine emergency. Assessment and Analysis Subjective symptoms of hypothyroidism include dull mental processes, activity intolerance, apathy, lethargy, loss of libido, intolerance to cold, and anorexia. Objective symptoms include lack of facial expression, weight gain, constipation, subnormal temperature and pulse rate, dry, brittle hair and nails, pale, dry, coarse skin, enlarged tongue, drooling, hoarseness, thinning of lateral eyebrows, loss of scalp, axilla, and pubic hair, diminished hearing, anemia, and periorbital edema. Lab test results demonstrate decreased triiodothyronine, T3, and thyroxine, T4 levels. The nurse should assess the client's history for factors that may have contributed to the condition. Weight and vital signs are assessed to establish baseline data. Planning and Implementation Nursing care of the client includes understanding and patients with the lethargy the client is experiencing. The nurse should explain that activity tolerance and mental functioning will improve with therapy and that therapy with hormone replacement will continue throughout life. The client should also be instructed to avoid over-the-counter drugs unless approved by a healthcare provider. The client should also modify outdoor activities in cold weather and wear adequate clothing because of sensitivity to cold environments. They should use moisturizers for dry skin and restrict calories, cholesterol, and fat in the diet to prevent weight gain. To avoid constipation, the client should increase fluid and dietary fiber. The client should seek health provider supervision regularly and when clinical findings of illness develop. The client should be taught signs of angina pectoris, indigestion, dyspnea, or palpitations that may indicate cardiac distress. Thyroid hormone replacement includes levothyroxine, synthroid, liothyronine, cytomel, and liotrix, thyrolar. Evaluation and Outcomes Expected outcomes and evaluation for the client with hypothyroidism includes the ability to complete Activities of Daily Living, ADLs, without fatigue. In addition, the client should adhere to the dietary, exercise, and medication regimen and establish a regular pattern of bowel elimination. The client must also understand the importance of taking medications as prescribed. Now we'll practice an NCLEX-style question. A nurse observes that a client in diabetic ketoacidosis is hyperventilating. What does this compensatory mechanism of body attempt to accomplish? 1. Decrease acidity. 2. Conserve glucose. 3. Retain bicarbonate. Or 4. Maintain cardiac output. The correct answer is 1. Hyperventilation is the body's attempt to rid itself of acid to restore acid-base balance. Hyperventilation does not help the body conserve glucose, it utilizes glucose. The kidney is responsible for retaining bicarbonate, not the lungs. Hyperventilation increases cardiac output, not maintains it. Let's try another question. A nurse is caring for a client who had a thyroidectomy 12 hours ago. When taking the client's blood pressure, the nurse observes that the client's fingers are in spasm and notifies the health care provider. What does the nurse anticipate the health care provider will order? 1. Sodium 2. Calcium 3. Potassium or 4. Bicarbonate The correct answer is 2. The client is exhibiting a positive Trousseau sign, which is indicative of hypocalcemia. The client needs intravenous calcium as soon as possible. Addressing sodium, potassium, and bicarbonate needs will not correct the problem. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to help support the podcast, please share it with others and leave a rating. We wish you all the best in the coming examination. See you next time.